Amen. Are you freezing, or is it like, you know, no, it's good. Like, everybody's kind of, one freezing, no? Okay, good. All right. I'll turn it down then, so we'll leave that alone for the moment. Um, Deuteronomy 15, verse 1, at the end of every seven years, you shall grant a release of debts. And this is the form of the release. Every creditor who has lent anything to his neighbor shall release it. He shall not require it of his neighbor or his brother because it is called the Lord's release. If a foreigner, of a foreigner, you may require it, but you shall give up your claim to what is owed by your brother except when there may be no poor among you. For the Lord will greatly bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance. Only if you carefully obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe with care all these commandments which I command you today, for the Lord your God will bless you just as he promised you. You shall lend to many nations but you shall not borrow. You shall reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over you. My temptation is to just dive at that last section and talk about what our nation is going through right now. We are very reflective of our sister Israel. We, we, are, we are based and built upon a Judeo-Christian ethic. I understand the debate I mean, I'm assuming most, if not all of us in this room, uh, agree with the concept that this is a Christian nation. It was built as a Christian nation, okay? There's some argument against I don't agree with it. But even if we were to set that argument aside, there is no question, there is no question that this nation was built on Judeo-Christian ethics and Judeo-Christian law. Okay, wasn't built on any other structured system. It was built upon what we're looking at here. So even for those that want to say it wasn't a Christian nation, you know, some of those founding fathers were just deist and all that garbage that goes on. Fine, they can have that argument, but the morality, the ethic, the law we were built upon was biblical. There's no arguing that point. And thereby, the law that governs this nation, Israel, we're reading about, is also that which governs us. And the principles and the law, spiritual laws are, are like what we would call natural laws also, right? You know, gravity is a natural law. There are certain things that you cannot deny. Spiritual laws, right? Sowing and reaping, right? You see, you're a wicked person, you do wicked things, you're going to reap bad outcomes. You can't mock God in these circumstances. It's a spiritual law that God has established. It cannot be violated. You violate these principles that God is laying out here in this little section specifically, and all that we're reading about, you're going to suffer the consequences that come along with that. You're going to function in these principles then you're going to have to have the checks and balances that go along with it. So to back up into this concept of the release, some of what the Lord talks about here 
we're talking about the seven-year increments. And then, of course, when you get the 50th year, you the year of Jubilee, you have that complete release. And that's a different uh, thing uh, in some principles. There's a little bit of a debate for those of you that are serious students about all of these details. There's a little bit of debate amongst the scholars. I don't really agree with it, but the argument is that uh, they didn't uh, forgive the debt. They simply paused the debt for the seventh year. So they would come to this seventh year and say, okay, like the ground was supposed to lie fallow and not be planted. Then for that seventh year, uh, your debt is paused was sort of you know what some of the scholars say. I don't agree with that. I think that as it's described here, the debt was forgiven. And we see certain indications uh, historically uh, that, that tell us if you were going to lend to somebody, then the, it's a payment structure. Or if they were going to work for you as a servant, it's a payment structure. You know, you, you have $10,000 of debt. I'm going to pay your $10,000 off and you're going to come work for me for the next six years. Um, you get free room and board. You don't get a paycheck, but I'm covering your debt in that process. So, so there was this built-in understanding of the time period, right? I mean, if, if there was only three years, right, until the year of release, and you show up with $200,000 worth of debt and say, I'll work for you for the next three years. You know, the guy's like, no, I mean, I'll cover a portion <laughs> of your debt, but, you, you know, you're not coming to work for me uh, and, and going to be get, you know, getting that much better because you're paying their room and their board also. They're, you're taking care of their living expenses along with taking care of their debt and their wage. So it's built in. Land lease is done the same way. You know, you've got a piece of property and somebody comes and wants that piece of property. They're going to grow crops on that. Then everything is based upon when is the year of release? When is the year of Jubilee? You're looking at how long do I get this and what is the profit? What is the benefit from it? So we shouldn't ever look at this under the idea of, of what you know has become slavery in the modern world. Servitude would be much more along the idea of employment, even in the idea of the creditor, someone who's lending. You know, this, this is all a payment arrangement circumstance. The thing to notice above anything else, however you wanted to study the details of that, is the gracious forgiveness that's incorporated in it all. The, the, the theme, the underlying message, I think about this, of even their monetary system is grace and mercy and forgiveness. You think about this, you guys. Many of us have experienced tremendous debt at different times in our lives, and the chokehold that that puts, it isn't, it isn't financial is, is certainly a part of that, right? But the emotional, the spiritual burden that comes with, God doesn't want that, okay? Historically, past tense, long ago, or for you today, God wants you to live in a peaceful, freedom, 
as much as you can free yourself from debt. You really need to consider doing that. And if you're sitting here right now saying, you don't understand the hole that I've gotten myself into. Okay, there are people smarter than us who can help us get out of those circumstances. We really need to structure our lives in such a way that we aren't constantly under, you know, oh, I've got a good job and I'm making the payments. And, you know, I, I had a conversation with a gentleman just last summer. He's talking to me about all that he has, all that he has, all that he has. He wants me to know all that he has, all that he has, all that he has. And, uh, you know, I finally am just like, good Lord, man. I mean, like, are you telling me you're this wealthy? Or I was, oh, oh, no, this is all financed. And so then when we talk about it, that he's carrying at that point more than a million dollars in debt. And I just said, man, what is that doing to your peace of mind? And event, and and like without thinking, he just goes into the grief and the struggle that it is. And he goes right in and how it's affecting his marriage and his relationships and, and, and his overall personality. You know, he is on edge all the time so bad that he, he has very few people that he would even classify as friends because he's... You see, you know, his debt's got him by the throat, so he's got everybody else by the throat. Peace, right? Peace. We serve the God of peace. This is what the Lord wants in our lives. This is what the Lord wants in the nation of Israel, is a peaceful state of existence. He wants them to function in a way where they're not under an oppressive state of existence with one another, Right within themselves, within their own families, God is trying to create peace, and and if they will function according to this, then He can bless them in the process. This 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 coupling together of the statement about the nations, right, uh, that they shouldn't, as a nation, be enslaved to other nations, that they should be independent from other nations, and in fact, be a blessing. To those other nations, right? It isn't even just like uh, you know a separation and an independence as much as it is the complete reverse. They're able to bless other nations, and it isn't that they would become oppressive with their money. That's not what the Lord is saying to them or encouraging them to do. Don't be a slave, you know, to money. Enslave other people with your. That's not what the Lord is saying. He's saying the graciousness that you're experiencing from me, freeing you, he's going to get right to the point that you were in bondage in Egypt, I delivered you out of that, that freedom in your state of existence should become your freedom in your coexistence with your fellow man, which will nationally cause you to be a gracious and abundant and providing and freeing nation for other people. Uh, what we are experiencing right now, th- this week, this week, what a remarkable moment in our nation's history. Uh, the the administration that we were under, don't, don't get me wrong, right? Uh, politics are not the answer. But if you follow this concept as a nation, where we were, energy independent, now, you know, uh, our leadership is begging other nations 
to give us, you know, better uh, financial structures on our energy, uh, you know, oil and gas and electricity even. You know, the things that we've done to ourselves, robbing ourselves of the opportunity to be a blessing to the nations around us. I mean, you're seeing what's happening in Afghanistan this week. It's absolutely crazy what is going on, what our, what our nation has done. Uh, reading, you know, detailed article after detailed article of people in Afghanistan that wanted to see their nation freed from the likes of the Taliban, right? Uh, an organization, and let's, let's be clear, what we're talking about with the Taliban more than anything is the terrorist, it's like the illegal army of Pakistan. It's a terrorist branch of, of a, another country. It's, it, you're familiar with Hezbollah, right? Hezbollah is the terrorist organization that attacks Israel continuously. Uh, militarily launching all the rockets. That is fueled, funded, uh, trained, and equipped by Russia through Iran into Lebanon, into Israel. It's an illegal army. It's a terrorist organization. state-sponsored terrorism. Uh, we purged that out by, you know, the Taliban mutilating Young girls, literally, their reproductive organs, mutilating them. And, 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 I mean, there's a reason we have adults in this Bible study for the purpose that they don't want women to experience pleasure in the intimacy of the marriage relationships that they have. They rob their little girls before they're adults of the fruitfulness of, of God's relationships. Wicked. Incredibly, they, they, they kill women who get educated. Just learn how to read, shot dead on the spot. No license. We, we as a nation, people say, well, you know, America, they're just imposing themselves upon all these other nations. They, you know, who are you guys? The police force of the world. Guess what? There needs to be police force. Even internationally. Because there are thugs on every level of our world, and they need to be dealt with. You know, this whole idea of abolishing police forces, yeah, who would want to do that? The devil himself, right? And all of his cronies. What we're watching, you know, this blessing, this is a small, I'm, I know I'm leapfrogging out of this issue here, but, but what is being said about you know, not being enslaved to other nations and instead, you know, lending to other nations is, the, you know, we need to lend our freedom and our liberties to other nations. Not our sin. We don't need to promote our sin. We don't need to, you know, ship our pornography and our alcohol and our drug addiction all over the world. But the freedom that this nation has in Jesus Christ we have this opportunity. Instead, what is happening is the Taliban's taken over. We have withdrawn from Afghanistan. There's a total collapse of that country. I, I guarantee you this, no matter if we turn it around right now, right now, if they woke up and said, we need to go back in there and we put all the troops back in there, 
The people who have previously worked with us will never work with us again. Because we've betrayed them. There's a terrible thing that's going on. And the, and the satanic power and influence you can see very, very plainly. What the Lord is saying to this nation about forgiveness and grace, that extends from God's personality and his character. If, if you are my children, you're going to behave like me, is what he's saying. I'm gracious, I'm kind, I'm forgiving, I'm benevolent. I give to and I care for others. And if you're my nation, if you're my people, then you're going to reflect all of that in, in your conduct. Very important we understand what the Lord is saying. Verse uh, 7, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren, <clears throat> this passage, what we just read before, talked about the poor. It's going to talk about the poor throughout this whole chapter. And Jesus said, you'll always have the poor amongst you. Okay? <clears throat> There's not something sinful about being poor. Right? That, that was very much the mentality of the culture of Jesus' day. If you were impoverished, then you or your parents or somebody, somebody was sinful. That's why you were poor. There are so many circumstances that can lead to poverty. You know, I, <clears throat> There's, there's a, a particular couple in this town who stands on the street corners begging with their little cardboard sign. When I first moved to this community, I stopped and bought them dinner and shared Christ with them for almost an hour. And you know what? <clears throat> I knew by the end that they were false and they were ripping me off. Okay, But here's the thing. They were so well-versed in Christianity. They talked to me about all the stuff. They had all the angles, all the excuses. Profound alcoholics, both of them. Drunk all day, every day. Right? And here's the deal. I moved to this town 21 years ago. They're still here. They're still in their poverty because of their drunkenness. I get that there are people like that. You understand that yourself. That can't cause us to say everyone who has a cardboard sign in there and is clearly sinful and wrong and a drunkard or whatever. But we need to be sensitive people to those who are poor. You know, ask the Lord to give you discernment. You know, well, one of the things a friend of mine always does, he lives in a big city, he gives to the you know, panhandlers quite often. And... He'll offer to give them money, but he'll ask them if he can pray for them before he gives them money, and they'll always agree yes. And his prayer is essentially, God, I pray you bless this person, take care of their needs, you know, heal them, provide all that stuff, but, Lord, as I give them this money, if they're going to use this for sinful purposes, Lord, I pray that you would make it that no one would ever give them another dime. Because this is your money, Lord. And he said you would not believe the number of times that the people then refused the money. 
Interesting, huh? Right, yeah, yeah. If you're going to use this, Lord, I pronounce a curse upon them. <laughs> that they would never get any money from anyone ever again. No thanks. <laughs> They're not interested anymore. You know, that, that'll cut right through the discernment process. Help you understand what's going on, right? Because there are, there are those people that take advantage. But, but you have to, I mean, I want to flip that back around again to the concept that the Lord is not opposed to the poor. He's, he's not saying that some, you know, those that are impoverished, those that, you know, what I found about the poor is, is very often circumstances, those that are genuinely poor for, I hate to say correct reasons, but, you know, reasons beyond their control, they're, they're very often the greatest servants you'll ever meet. They, they, they have a huge heart to care for people. And I... Don't know if it's always true, but I have I have recognized that very often what's going on in their lives is they their selflessness has been contributed to their poverty. They haven't been focused on self. They haven't been working for self. They haven't been aiming at you know me, mine, and I. They, they've been more concerned about doing for and being for other people. So consider and pray how the Lord might lead you in different circumstances and caring for people. Here, if there is among you a poor man of your brethren with any of the gates in your land, you know, so wherever, whatever culture, you know, certain communities are more impoverished than Jesus. I mean, the, the Lord rather here is saying, you know, whatever region, town, county, culture, country they're from, you're going to find poor people in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. The Lord's done that for you, hasn't he? Way, way beyond what you deserved. He has opened his hand wide to us. I just can't even believe the way the Lord has blessed me over the years. They're just ridiculous, way beyond, way, way beyond and above measure. The, the Lord has cared for me and my family and, and our circumstances. Such a blessing. How, how could I receive all of that and then find somebody else and say, yeah, I'm not inclined to give to you? So there's something wrong with a heart that receives that much blessing, but then refuses to apply it to anyone else. In the process, there are many different passages in the Scripture that, that talk about you know receiving the grace of God and then not being being willing to hand it out. Go go right to the Lord's prayer, right? You know, forgive me as I forgive those who are indebted against me. Jesus says at the end of what we refer to as the Lord's prayer that that if you do not forgive, neither will you be forgiven. You know, there's, not, there's no implication there. That's an imperative instruction. You know, this will happen. If you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. I'm not interested in that, even remotely. I need to be forgiven. <laughs> it's top of my priorities. Christ's grace in my life needs to flow through me, right? You know, the Dead Sea, right? It just all flows in. Nothing flows out. I don't want to be that state of existence. What is pouring into my life needs to be pouring out of my life also. So here, care for those that are in need. 
I've, I've had many occasions uh, where people come and say, hey, and, and now, well, you guys won't do it, line up at the door. But, you know, people have come and said, can I borrow $20? You know, could you help me out with this bill, with that bill? You know, I promise I'll repay, and I just, and I, I have never, so if I, if I have it, I, the, the principle I learned a long time ago is I'm not lending you a blessed thing. <laughs> I'll give you whatever you need. If I have the capacity to do it, I will give you what you need. If, if you give it back, that's between you and the Lord. But I'm giving it out the door between me and the Lord, and then he'll take care of me. You know, I understand for some people that's, you know, allowed them the freedom to abuse that situation. But again, that's between them and the Lord. You know, I, I don't have any conscience about that at all. Totally free, just able to bless somebody, bless them in the process. You know, I, just, uh, I, I, uh, I ended up giving a person a pretty good sum of money years ago by mistake. You know, they came to me, cornered me right after church, and this is my need. Can can you help me? And they, I mean, they just they mounted their presentation so perfectly, and I said, man, if I had anything, I, I'd give it to you right now. And I pulled out my wallet thinking I didn't have any, opened up, and, you know, that was the whole paycheck. <laughs> so, and now I'm taking care of your whole need. It, you know, we say mistake, but, you know, did the Lord orchestrate my hand? Because I can tell you that the following weeks were profoundly blessed, right? What was the error there, uh, Grace? Right? We say that, erring on the side of grace. Because right? I just have that attitude and uh, that approach. And it sounds like I'm bragging now. That's stupid. I didn't mean to do that. I'm just trying to promote the concept of I know the grace of God in my life. And we need to have that same position in our lives. Well, what the Lord has bestowed and given and poured out upon us, are, are we ready to do the same? Are we willing? Do we have that heart? Uh, of forgiveness, of grace, of caring for. And don't close the hand. Don't withhold. Don't be embittered. This isn't a concept, right? Because they know oh, he's coming. He's asking me that because, you know, in just a matter of months, we're going to be at, you know, the seventh year, the year of release. You know, he didn't come to me and ask me, you know, when he had all the time in the world to repay me. He's coming and asking me, you know, at the last hour. And the Lord is saying, don't close your hand in those moments. Don't, don't keep yourself from that. No, know that the Lord has put them there. He'll, he'll balance the scales. He takes care of us in the process. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release is at hand. And your eye be evil against your poor brethren. And you give him nothing. He cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. I mean, it isn't just my commentary on this thing. This is, the, this is exactly what the Lord is saying. And we need to have this gracious heart. You shall surely give to him. And your heart should not grieve when you give to him. Because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put your hand. For the poor will never cease from the land. Therefore I command you, saying, You shall open your hand wide to your brother, 
to your poor and your needy in the land. Right, this flies in the face of communism. Right? That there, that within this is structured the concept that there will be wealthy, prosperous people and impoverished people. You know, this idea of, oh, everybody should just get the same. I, I, I have had conversations with Christians who mistakenly will point to the book of Acts and say, well, look right there. You know, as the church was being born and everyone was growing, they, they sold all they had and they came together and everybody lived communally and it was just a wonderful, blessed thing. No, it wasn't. Yeah, they did. All sell belongings and come together and live communally, right? But what is the very first thing you see when that happens? Ananias and Sapphira, right? Profound hypocrisy in their midst. And historically, we know that the church, particularly at Jerusalem, was so abused by this, right? People in the community are just like, well, wait a minute. What, you become a Christian and you can just quit your job? Seriously, people were quitting their jobs in droves and converting, converting, I'll put the quote brackets around that, to Christianity and coming and living community. They were mooching off the church, right? All I got to do is go to Bible study, sing songs, raise my hand. Praise God, brother, you know, pass the food. <laughs> this is what was going on. So much so that this is a contributing factor to why Paul was taking up collections from all of the other churches and taking care of Jerusalem. Communism only fails 100% of the time. It never works. Socialism never works. Right? Hunger is a very powerful motivation. Poverty is a very powerful motivation. Yes, care for those who are impoverished, but beware the abuses in the process. You know, you're going to always have poor in you, therefore I command you, saying, you shall open your hand wide to your brother, to your poor and your needy in your land. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 says, there is one who scatters, yet increases more. And there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty, right? Many of us know, unfortunately, both sides of that concept. Profound selfishness, keep, hold to me, mine, and I, and I just don't ever seem to have enough. I'm always running short. I'm just scraping it all together, and I don't, and it's mine, and get away from me, and, and I just can't get by. And then others that are like, yeah, hey, whatever, you know, and God takes care of them. And they turn around, and it's abundant. And the Lord cares for so well. Great blessings. Now, in verse 12, we shift gears concerning the laws regarding bond servants. Uh, if you haven't read previously Exodus chapter 21, uh, the first portion of that chapter uh, gives... A little more detail to the issue of bond servants, but it's a remarkable thing. Before I read this and give explanation, I want to point out that not only were Paul and Timothy referred to and referring to themselves as bond servants, along with that, Peter did also refer to himself as a bond servant. And I think most 
significantly, Jude and James both refer to themselves as bond servants. What's remarkable to me about that is Jude and James were half brothers to Jesus. They grew up with Jesus in that household. There was a profound uh, change in attitude, right? In the book of Mark, they think he's crazy. Uh, King James Version says, well, it says that he began to refer to himself as the Son of God, and they, thinking him beside himself, which literally just means crazy, they went to collect him, meaning take him away to the funny farm. Okay, so so they had a profound experience and conversion of heart to where now they refer to themselves as bond servants of Jesus Christ, not just servants. Right. Not even just slaves, bond servants bound for life to Jesus as their Lord. So we'll, we'll look at this and, and examine that a little more closely. Uh, 15 verse 12. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year, you shall let him go free from you. When you send him away <clears throat> free from you, he shall not. Let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally, with, you know, with abundance, from your flock, from your threshing floor, the grain and uh, produce gathering, and from your wine press, the vineyard, and what the Lord has blessed you with, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. He talks about it a little more, but the concept comes from the fact that when they left Egypt, they were told by the Lord to go amongst the Egyptians and ask for what the scripture refers to as the gleaning from the Egyptians' wealth. Well, you know, hey. You know, we've had ten curses come upon your nine curses. You're about to experience uh, the tenth curse where your firstborn uh, die. We're going to leave town uh, so that the curses don't affect you anymore. Uh, would you like to bless us before we go? You know, and uh, they gave them great wealth. Uh, the Egyptians gave them great wealth. Another way of looking at is uh, we've been slaves for you, and we've built you a massive country and nation and infrastructure, and uh, you haven't paid us, so um, we're here to collect. <laughs> We'd like to be paid as we leave town, and uh, the, the, the gleaning of the Egyptians. They received great payment uh, in the process of uh, departing of the land. And here the Lord is saying, if you've had servants that have served you, worked for you, right, because they don't receive a paycheck, debt is cleared, Payment is made on their behalf. Room and board is supplied, but they don't get a paycheck every week. So now they're being released, right? And, and the sinful heart would say, well, hey, you got what you deserve. You know, you're free. I covered your debt, fed you, you know, kept the rain off your head. So what more do you want? The Lord is saying, give them a paycheck. Give them an abundant paycheck. Give them a liberal paycheck as they go out the door. You take care of those who are under your care, especially your brethren, is what the Lord is saying. Don't withhold. He's going to talk about the fact that they're a double blessing, right? Uh, it should be, brothers and sisters, that who we work for as Christians, we are at least one of the best employees, 
that that employer has, or or maybe even the best employee that that person has. It, it should not be that we're just like the run of the mill, you know, take advantage of the boss employee. It should be that we stand out, we stand above everyone else in the process. And, you know, in that, with the employer, with the landowner, with the one who has had this servant, you know, he doesn't feel burdened. Yeah, well, I mean, now I got to pay him a paycheck. But every time I came in the room, the guy jumped up because he was sitting down doing nothing. You know, now you're asking me to give him a paycheck. That, that's tough to do, isn't it? But when somebody has not been there showing you that they have a respect for your position, for what you're providing for them. So, you know, learn from both sides of that, that the Lord wants us to be exemplary as employees, as servants, and then as employers, and those who care for others, take care of, take good care of those that the Lord has uh, given to you because you know, in that it's very reflective of Israel being released from their bondage. Verse 16 and 17 here, it happens, and if it happens that he says to you, you know, as the year of release comes, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you. He loves you and your house, right? Evil, cruel, Wicked masters usually didn't have many bond servants, right? You know, you go to work for somebody, you could immediately sell yourself into a life of servitude to that individual. But generally speaking, it was the shorter terms of six years. So you go to work for somebody for six years and, you know, usually right away. But if not, within a few years, you're realizing... Boy, when the six years ends, right? I'm not interested in staying here. I'm, I'm looking for the next, uh, even if you have more need, I'm looking for the next opportunity. So, so, so the person who wants to stay it, it has a master who's good to them, cares for them, right? He loves this master. Uh, that is actually possible. So in the process since he prospers with you, verse 17, then you shall take an awl and thrust it through his ear to the door, and he shall be your servant forever. Also your female servant, you shall do likewise. Um, there's uh, quite a picture in this. We've talked about it on many occasions, and, and remember those names, Paul, Timothy, Peter, Jude, and James, all referring to themselves as bond servants. So you've served for Six years, let's just say, however long it's been, and you decide, I want this man to be my master for the rest of my life. You go to him and say, would you make me your bondservant? I'm going to stay in this household for the rest of my life. If he agrees, then he takes you to the doorpost of the house, and he stretches your earlobe over the doorpost of the house, and he takes that woodworking tool and all, and puts it on your ear, and with hammer, smack nails your earlobe to the doorpost of the house. Okay, It's a very symbolic ritual. Right? Remove that, place a golden earring in the ear. The golden earring was to represent the chains of slavery. Right? 
You're bound by a single link in your ear to a particular house, to a particular master. And notice, it's not an iron ring, right? It's not some cruel form of thing. It's not some worthless piece of junk in your ear. It is a golden earring. Great value. And, and it's so significant, right, that the ear is attached to the master's house. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Your ear, your heart, your mind must be attentive to your master's words. You must, you must be permanently affixed as a slave of value to your master's household to be a servant to what your master might say. What a brilliant picture of Jesus Christ in our relationship with him. Bond servants, right? Some of us came into the process in debt knowing we needed forgiveness and said, please take care of my debt. And we begin the process and realize this is a really good master. I, I want to stay here. You know, I didn't realize I was making a lifelong commitment, but now that I've had this experience with this master, without question, this is my household, and this is where I want to stay. You know, what an unfortunate thing that some people come into service to our Lord, our master, and our king, and they decide, yep, that's been cleared, and they go back out the door. How tragic is that? Th think of the great wealth of forgiveness and grace that they have robbed themselves of. They don't, they don't have that golden earring in their ear. They, they don't have their ear affixed to the household of their master. It's really quite remarkable. There's another small element in it uh, that's quite interesting to me. That would be the same doorpost and threshold that the blood of the Passover lamb would be placed upon at Passover. So, you know, the doorpost of the house has great significance uh, in that Jewish mindset and in their uh, religion. And, well, we're going to see in the next chapter, uh, probably next week, when we examine uh, the different uh, ceremonies and uh, celebrations that uh, the Lord wants them to be involved in, we'll see Passover. So here, uh, you know, this uh, male and female servant, likewise, verse 18 it shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you. So back to the discussion of those who are being released. For he has been worth a double hired servant in serving you six years. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all that you do. If, you, if you're just gracious, right? Because we, we can get that human perspective of, ah, well, you know, I've hung out with this person, and yeah, they're a Christian, but, you know, they're just filled with all kinds of shortcomings and sinfulness, and I just, it really bothers me. Yeah, you know, you probably ought to get a mirror, you know, and just examine yourself in your own heart and see what's going on. Uh, Chuck Smith was the first one I heard say that it is only the imperfect that is intolerant of the imperfect. Because right. our perfect God is never intolerant of us. He's always gracious. He's always forgiving. He's always kind. We, on the other hand, 
we have these stupid measurements, uh, you know, of I, I'm slightly better than you, you know, slightly less filthy, slightly less sinful, right? One sin, one, uh, you know, separates us from God forever. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What are, what are the degrees of difference? Not at all. We measure according to human standards. Human standards. It's not, not right, not gracious, not the character of our God. Verse 19. All the firstborn males that come from your herd and your flock, you shall sanctify to the Lord your God. You shall do no work with the firstborn of your herd, nor shear the firstborn of your flock. So your firstborn belongs to God. You know, but... After all, it is a, you know, exemplary ox and really strong. We ought to just, let's plow the field quick, then we'll take him down to Jerusalem. The Lord is saying, no, you know, it is the firstborn, it belongs to me. You know, firstborn, but I mean, have you seen the fleece on this thing? It's just amazing wool. I mean, we're going to give the sheep to the Lord. We could just shear it once real quick, and then we'll take it. And the Lord is saying, no, if it's mine, it's mine. Right. You measure your own heart, right? We we are an unfortunate creature. Other people do this, not you guys. Less mature Christians than you do this, where they they make commitments. You know, the human nature is to then regret because of the known benefit, and to keep for ourselves that which we've committed to the Lord. And the, the place where I recognize this being done more than any is with time. You know, people make commitment and then don't, you know, don't make the commitment, right? Make the commitment and then, you know, it's just like this, firstborn. But then, well, we're going to, you know, that there's that old story of, I guess it applies more to the rest of the, the, the farmer, you know, had two cattle born at the same time, said to his wife, we're going to give one of those to the Lord. And she, of course, is like, well, which one? He's like, in time, you know, and months later, he comes to the house all kind of forlorn. And she says, well, you look down, what's going on? He said, I wouldn't believe it. The Lord's cow just died, you know. You make the decision later about what belongs to the Lord, how much you're going to give. If you've made the commitment, stick by the commitment, right? This is one of the things that the Lord tells us about those who can dwell in his presence for eternity are those who swear to their own hurt, right? What did David say? I will not give to the Lord that which has not cost me. There's always cost involved in serving the Lord. But again, this whole concept, this whole chapter is saying, if you'll give to the Lord, you can't outgive him. If you're going to give to the Lord, he's going to give back to you in a way that you can't possibly contain what it is that he's going to do for you. So the trust that's involved in here. Do no work with that and don't shear the firstborn of your flock. You, know, you show up at the temple with, we brought the Lord's sheep and it's just freshly shaved. And it's kind of odd, you know what I'm saying? We, we, kept, we kept the very first profit that could be made from the sheep for ourselves. Consider what the Lord might be saying. You and your household shall eat it before the Lord your God year by year 
in the place which the Lord chooses. Don't be distracted by that. He's going to give explanation. But if there is a defect in it, if it is lame or blind or has a serious defect, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Yep, uh, firstborn, uh, you know, mutant, uh, that one belongs to God. You know, ours are all amazing, but God's is, you know, maimed. You know, the Lord is literally saying, exchange that. You know, you can keep that one for yourself, and you can give it to me, you know, the second born that is of higher quality. You know, give, give to the Lord that which is whole. You may eat it within your gates, meaning the one that is blind or lame. And the unclean and the clean person alike may eat it, as if it were a gazelle or a deer. Only you shall not eat its blood. You shall pour it, the blood, on the ground like water. He has specifically over and over again talked about not eating the blood. So we, we don't need to go into much discussion about that. But the issue of eating it. So when it belongs to the Lord and you're giving it to the Lord as sacrifice, there were three portions in that fellowship offering that took place. You, you would offer it to the Lord and the Lord would have a portion that was burned uh, to him, and a portion would be given to the priests to care uh, for them and their needs as they have no land, they have none of this possession that the other tribes do. And then a portion was given back to the person who had brought it as sacrifice. And we've talked about this many times. It's the idea of sharing a meal together. God is consuming his portion through the fire of sacrifice. The priest is consuming their portion as it has been roasted in the fire and the person who brought the sacrifice. There's supposed to be this concept of great fellowship. It's much deeper than what we do today. Uh, when the Jews sat down to eat, uh, everything was common food. Uh, common sauces, common dishes, common consumption upon the table. So, literally, pull off the chunk of meat, take a bite, think I don't want that, put it right back. More commonly, take a bite of the meat, dip it in the sauce, take a bite, dip it right back in those. Double dipping was totally allowed. And when they said being at one with one another, that's literally what they meant. That what is in you ends up in me. We are all becoming one in the process of consuming this. Okay. <clears throat> Jump over to this concept. Jesus hangs out with the sinners, the drunkards, the tax collectors, and the, the religious people are all saying, Ah, oh, see, he, he's hanging out with the prostitutes, he's a drunkard, he's a glutton, he's ridiculous. And they say that from the same reason you and I should not do those things, because bad company does corrupt good morals. That, that's scripture, right? Not just common opinion. Jesus is God. In those environments, Jesus isn't being brought down. Those people are being brought up. Okay, he, he is purifying those environments. We contaminate one another. We sit at the table and eat of the same meal. Well, we're just really swapping bugs. Which does bolster our immune system, but it's a tough route to take. You know what I'm saying? It's a tough route to take. Well, for the Jews, that wasn't that bad of a concept. 
because, right, they were supposed to be sexually and morally pure. So a lot of those things that were infecting and affecting the pagan cultures wouldn't affect them. So as brothers, right, like we sit here and we consume of the word of God together, we're not corrupting one another right now. We have the potential to corrupt one another. But what we're doing right now in consuming of this food, we're not corrupting one another. And that's the concept of sharing the meal together. What's most glorious about it is God is willing to say, I'll share a meal with you. I'll double dip with you. Right? You want to drink off this glass? And I'll drink off this glass. No? Communion. Right? The same cup. Jesus gave it to us and said, drink of this cup. He's purifying us in the process. That's the, the Jews understood this concept, that when they bring the sacrifice to the Lord and the Lord consumes his portion, the priest his portion, and they their portion, that, that again, that term atonement, at-one-ment, being made at one with God. What, what a gracious God. Think about how gracious this whole chapter has been. Grace, forgiveness, kindness, freedom, release, provision, lifelong provision. Well, what a beautiful picture of our God and his character. Hold that in contrast, you guys, to the hate-filled legalistic churches, right? They go around and say such wicked things to the people of the world, right? Now oh, you're a sinner headed to hell. Yeah, they already know that. They already know that. Their heart convicts them of that, right? We offer them grace, forgiveness, right? Paul specifically said, we have, I'm paraphrasing, we have no judgment for the world. Our judgment is for the house of God. As as we amongst one another are supposed to be purifying one another, as we share in communion together, our sacrifice, right? It's Jesus Christ. That's what we are consuming of. That's what is entering our bodies is the Lord Himself, and He is purifying us in the process. It's a beautiful Old Testament picture overlaid on our faith. And how it is that we live and function and exist as believers today. Let the Lord bless you with it. And, and may his character be found in each of us. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's stand and we'll pray. We'll pick up at chapter 16, theoretically, next week. Father, we thank you very much for your grace, for your work, for your freedom for your deliverance, Lord, for the opportunities to serve you, to be bound to your household, to be bond servants in your kingdom. Lord, bless us that we would be in fellowship with you, walk with you, accomplish your will, build your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.